crisis that the U.S. had been engaged in. So we are hopeful that the new administration will again take a fresh look at this and reassess whether this is the right policy for Mexico, a nation that prides itself from saying that it is an international human rights leader. We just don't see that in practice, but we love to see that come to be the case with the new administration. Oscar Chacon, we want to thank you for being with us, executive director of Alianza Americas. His recent essay will link to it, Medium, Why Abolish ICE Doesn't Go Far Enough for Migrant Families. That does it for our show. Democracy Now! has a job opening for a broadcast engineer here in New York City. Find out more at democracynow.org. Democracy Now! produced by Mike Burke, Renee Feltz, Nermin Shea, Carla Wills, Laura Gattestein, or Sam Alcoff. I'm Amy Goodman Juan Gonzalez. Hello and welcome. It's 6 o'clock and you're listening to Democracy Eventually on WVEWLP 107.7 FM, Brattleboro, your community radio station. And I'm one of your hosts, Cara Hamilton. The views and opinions expressed on this show are the are those of the hosts and the guests and not of the radio station. This is a local and state news radio show where we focus on news from a progressive standpoint. We replay on Fridays at 8. Still don't know if it's a.m. or p.m. Nobody tells me things uh, on this station. And we're on Facebook and Twitter. You can also find our show on iTunes under Democracy Eventually. Um, today, I'm joined in the studio by a special guest who prefers not to be named or go on air, but that's fine. Um, and... In substitution, I'll be playing a conversation with the Vice President of Public Policy for Vermont from Planned Parenthood of Northern New England that I recorded last week. Um, But before I cut to that, I'm going to take a quick music break. Okay, welcome back. That was Leslie Gore um, with You Don't Own Me. Um, So you're listening to Democracy Eventually, and I'm your host, Cara Hamilton. And as I mentioned, I'll be playing a pre-recorded interview with uh, Lucy Eirich from Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. She is the Vice President of Public Policy for Vermont. Um, so without further ado, here is that interview. Say your full name and your role at Planned Parenthood of Northern New England. Yeah, sure. My, my name is Lucy LaRiche, and I'm the Vice President for Vermont um, in Public Policy, and that's Planned Parenthood Northern New England. Great. And how long have you been with the organization? Not that long, since April of 2017. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, a little more than a year. That's great. Thanks. Um, so I wanted to have you on the show today a bit to talk about reproductive rights at the national level and then whittle down to what's happening in Vermont. Um, so obviously one of the things that 
people are most concerned about right now is the potential appointment of Judge Kavanaugh and what a conservative court will mean for the future of Roe versus Wade. Um, so I'm wondering if you could really unpack what it would mean to repeal Roe versus Wade. Yeah, this, this is a disastrous. Point. Um, if, if Judge Kavanaugh is appointed to the, to the bench, this could have disastrous consequences for women's civil liberties and reproductive rights in, in the country, unprecedented times we're living in here. So Kavanaugh has, it has been chosen from a list that was um, created from the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society, and these are both organizations whose mission is to overturn Roe v. Wade. And the president has said point blank that um, his, his goal in appointing a Supreme Court justice will be to find someone who will overturn Roe v. Wade and essentially um, take away access to reproductive health care to millions of people. Oh, please go ahead. Yeah, and um, so he has, he has a track record of trying to deny people access not only to not only to abortion in the case of um, a person who was undocumented and in and was being held in detention and was access was um, requesting an abortion he tried to block her from obtaining an abortion and he has also ruled in cases that would allow employers to take to to um, eliminate coverage for birth control for their employees, essentially placing the employer in between a woman and her and her doctor. So we know that uh, that that Kavanaugh would be a very bad choice for the Supreme Court for these reasons. Now you were asking, what does this mean for? for the country, right? I mean, is that what you're... Yeah, like, so it's clear what the intentions are of Kavanaugh to overturn Roe versus Wade, but um, if Roe versus Wade was actually overturned, what would the immediate effects be? Well, the immediate effect in Vermont... Um, well, the immediate effect in the country would be around, I can't remember the exact number of states, but I believe there are 20 to 22 or 24 states in the country that already have laws on the books with trigger language in them that state, if Roe goes away, then abortion becomes illegal or further restricted, either gestational limit restrictions or... Um, parental notification restrictions, but most, but, but actually many states, there would be an all-out ban on any abortion in, at any time. Mm -hmm. um, even in, and, and I, I would imagine that even in the case of rape, incest, or um, the mother's life at risk, even in those cases, there, there may be some questionable rights. Mm -hmm. about whether or not a woman could still obtain an abortion. Okay. So that many states, in, it's, it's pretty, it's dire. Mm -hmm. um, and in Vermont, thankfully, we don't, have any, we don't have any laws on the books like that that would revert to making abortion illegal in Vermont in the case that Roe v. Wade were overturned. So in Vermont, abortion would remain permitted but it leaves us very vulnerable right. to, to other case law and um, to other circumstances that could, that could transpire from there. We know that there are cases that are being tried in lower courts that are on their way to the Supreme Court that are crafted specifically to try to bring up abortion rights, reproductive rights, and try to start um, chink chinking away at Roe v. Wade. Mm-hmm. Right. So the the bottom line is if if Congress, I mean there there are a lot of possible scenarios here. If Congress decided that they wanted to pass a law like prohibiting abortion, 
And if Roe v. Wade were overturned, Congress could then enact laws prohibiting abortion that would apply to the entire country because typically federal laws preempt state laws. So we could even put a law in the books in the state of Vermont with the express right of abortion in Vermont. But if Congress decided to act to take that away, then it would be gone. And so this is the environment we're living in. These are very uncertain times. We have a, a Congress that is hostile to, to reproductive rights and to women in general. And we have a president who is hostile to reproductive rights. Women in general is a clear misogynist. So we are, uh, we're, you know, we're, it, it's serious. And I think I would just really like your listeners to know that this is, um, if there were ever a time to pay attention and act, now is the time. Right. Something I was thinking about, so we, you know, we focus a lot on abortion, but you also mentioned that um, Judge Kavanaugh is really interested in um, limiting, well, at least giving employers the option to limit women's and people's access to um, contraception. Um, and so it's something I've been thinking about, like, the, we're often told that the purpose of limiting re reproductive um, healthcare access is about morality and people thinking that uh, couples or anyone should abstain from sex. Um, but it actually seems like uh, it's about pee -pee, keeping people poor. Um, can you talk about, uh, I mean, it's fine if you don't feel like you're an expert, but do you have a sense of like, where this fits in with an economy that benefits from people continuing to be poor. From compulsory pregnancy, from making women have babies against their, against their will. Essentially. Yeah, essentially. So, yeah, we are living the handmaid's tale right now. Um, not only are we, we seeing attacks on, on, on abortion rights, we're seeing, we are seeing attacks on basic contraception. I'd like to talk about Title X for a moment, if I can. Yeah, sure. Title X, Title X is something a lot of people do, are not aware of this program, but it was created in 1970, and it's the only federal program in the country that was designed to, to provide affordable birth control and reproductive health care to people. The Title X funded health centers have provided really high quality, cost effective family planning and related preventive health services to low income, underinsured and uninsured women and men who may otherwise lack access to health care. Um, and for Vermont, um, Planned Parenthood Northern New England is the only Title X provider. We're the only entity in the state of Vermont that receives Title X funding. In 2017, we served nearly 10,000 patients with Title X out of a total of 19,000 patients. So more than half of our patients wow. benefit from the Title X program. And um, just to be clear, to be absolutely clear, no federal dollars whatsoever can ever be used to pay for abortions. This is basic health care. These are basic health care dollars. This is about making sure that people don't die of cancer, that they get their cancer screenings, that they don't cause a public health emergency through the spread of sexually transmitted infections because they don't have access to health care to screen and treat their, their infections. So it's very basic health care. And under the Trump administration, they are working to... Um, undermine this program. In Vermont, 10 of our 12 healthcare centers, including this health center in Brattleboro, are Title X healthcare centers. Um, with these dollars, we provide comprehensive family planning and related preventive health services, including contraceptive services and pregnancy testing and counseling, screening, you know, all of the things that I mentioned sexually transmitted disease screening and treatment, HIV, rapid HIV testing, breast, cervical, colorectal, colorectal testicular cancer. Um, so all of this stuff is provided with these, with these dollars. Last year we received, Vermont received just under a million dollars in Title X funding. So now... The Trump administration is completely rejiggering the program to try to make it 
not a family planning program, but an abstinence only edu- an abstinence only program. Mm-hmm. And and to the extent that sex is involved, they're um, promoting the rhythm method. And now the the administration has proposed a rule, a new rule, which we are calling the gag rule because essentially it makes it illegal for doctors and nurses and hospitals and community health centers across the country that participate in the program to refer their patients for safe legal abortion. And it imposes new restrictions that are designed to make it impossible for patients to get birth control or preventive care from reproductive health care providers like Planned Parenthood. And it removes the guarantee that people are getting full and accurate information about their health care from their health care providers. And the proposed rules are now published. The proposed rule is now published in the Federal Register, and it's we are now in the comment period, the comment phase, and there's a 60-day comment period that ends at the end of July. So we are we have a national goal to get one million comments um, demanding to Secretary Azar to withdraw this this backwards rule and continue with the Title X program as it is. Can you talk about how people submit comments? Oh, thank you for asking that. Absolutely. So the Secretary of State for Vermont, T.J. Donovan, is a real champion for reproductive rights, and he and his office have put up a web portal through his website, vermontag.gov, and from there you can find the link to, um, I, I forget the rest of the, the website, the, the web page, and I'm looking for it right now in my notes, and I can't find it easily. But um, go to the T.J. Donovan to um, Vermont Secretary of State website, and you can find the link to submit a comment. Additionally, you can go to plannedparenthoodaction.org.org and submit comments through us. We have made it super easy for people to comment. Um, if you just press on that link, we give you the quick lowdown on the rule, and we have a template letter of comment that, that people can submit. All you have to do is fill in your contact information and press submit, and you're done. It takes maybe a minute. So it's super easy, and it's so important. So please, I really hope that um, your listeners will will make a comment. Time is running out, as I mentioned, July 31st, and um, it, it is very quick and easy. We've made it very, very easy to submit a comment. That's great. Thanks. And we'll, so we have um, several social media sites, Facebook and Twitter. So we'll post a couple of those links there as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Thanks so much. And I will, um, I will send you the links great. by email. Um, well, one thing I'm wondering, so, you know, best case scenario, like uh, this new language doesn't go through. Um, but if it did, uh, I've read that Planned Parenthood of Northern New England would no longer accept Title X funds um, in order to be able to continue serving their patients and providing them accurate information. What would that mean for funding and the continuing operation of centers in Vermont? Yeah, thanks for asking that. So that's absolutely right. We have decided, well, first, I just want to emphasize that we are fighting this this rule with everything we've got, and we're trying to get it overturned. And um, that is that's the that's the our first line mm-hmm. of defense. And then second 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 of all, if the rule is enacted, we have we are we're very clear that we will not be able to accept Title Ten funding in Vermont. And what that means for our patients, we don't know yet, except that, except to say that we are absolutely committed to continuing to provide quality, non-judgmental, compassionate care to our patients in an ongoing way. And we will find a way. And we are finding 
we're, we are reaching out to philanthropic sources and, and other sources, and we are finding incredible support from people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are we're committed to continuing to serve our patients. Right. I, I imagine it, that um, a lot of that funding actually helps just with operating costs. Is that the case? Well, there's, yeah, well, sure. I mean, we have, uh, we have a business model where we are serving low-income, underserved patients. So more than half of our patients are, as I mentioned, are treated using um, Title X funds. Mm-hmm. And 47% of our patients receive, um, are, are, have Medicaid insurance and use Medicaid to, to get their care. Um, most, most healthcare providers cannot afford to take such a high percentage of Medicaid patients because they don't pay as well as private insurance or even Medicare. So we have structured our, our care model in such a way that we can, um, that we try to be as efficient as possible and with our funds and we, we, we stretch our dollars really far and we, we make sure that we prove can, that we turn, that we don't have to turn anyone away. Everyone is welcome in our healthcare centers and we want to make absolutely certain that cost will not be a barrier to someone getting the healthcare that they need. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Um, did you want to say anything else on the note of Title 10? Let's see. Um, I don't think so, except that it's, it's, well, actually, I will say one other thing, and that is that a healthcare coalition consisting of um, basically the, health, the entire healthcare community in Vermont, the Hospitals Association, the UVM Medical Center, the, the two insurance carriers in Vermont, Blue Cross Blue Shield and MVP, um, the Bi-State Primary Care Association, Visiting Nurses Association, Clinics for the Uninsured, um, mental, health, mental health agencies. I mean, everybody basically, the entire healthcare community in Vermont has essentially signed on to a letter urging the withdrawal of this terrible rule, the terrible gag rule. So I just want to emphasize that this is something that the healthcare community in Vermont recognizes universally as being medically unethical. This is a clear violation. If we were to comply with the gag rule as it's currently written, this would be a clear violation of medical ethics for any healthcare provider. And that is really reflected in the statement of support that we have or in the statement of opposition to the gag rule from the medical community. So I, I just wanted to make that point because um, this is not just affecting Planned Parenthood. This is, um, this is a, a direct assault on the way we practice medicine in this country. Right. As you said, sends a pretty strong message that every, essentially every provider is on board in Vermont. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and I guess that's a, a specific population who has... Uh, I guess their mandate to, you know, uh, do no harm and to serve their patients. But I'm wondering about other populations in the state, um, you know, the public attitude generally and then the legislature, where you think um, Vermonters fall on reproductive rights um, and political action um, should more of these policies come into effect. Well, I think Vermonters are uh, Vermonters are a fiercely independent group, and we are um, very. I, I think it, the education level in Vermont is is pretty impressive, and we have outstanding support in Vermont for reproductive health care. And specifically, around seventy percent of Vermonters believe that abortion should remain safe and legal. So I think that the general public is very supportive. What the general public may not be so aware of, however, is the Title X program in general. They may not be aware that this program even exists. Mm-hmm. Title X patients can come into our health centers and, and have their care um, 
their care um, subsidized, deeply subsidized because of the Title X program and walk out and have absolutely no idea how they just got that care, but just know that, you know, they did, that Mm -hmm. they were able to get care for some reason, but may not be aware of where the money came from or how that all happened. So that is part of why I wanted to talk about Title X today. So thank you for the opportunity to do that. I just think it's important to raise awareness among Vermonters about this program and the importance of it in the healthcare landscape. Right, definitely. Um, well, I wanted to switch gears a little bit to talk about. So we, you know, we're talking about uh, ways that reproductive rights will be limited um, if federal legislation is passed. I'm wondering if we could talk a bit about um, ways in which access is already limited, um, especially in rural states like Vermont, um, because of things like geography and limits of transportation, but also um, a, you know, what providers outside of Planned Parenthood are able to provide. Um, so one thing that I read was that um, Brattleboro's office, Planned Parenthood of Northern New England office, doesn't currently have the equipment to provide abortion services in clinic. Um, so, That's correct. So I'm wondering um, where you refer uh, women, women and people in southern Vermont to, to receive abortions. Um, so, yeah, so we have um, a number of partners that we do refer for abortion um, from our healthcare center in Brattleboro. Um, we have, I don't really feel at liberty to say what healthcare centers that we actually refer to mm. because believe it or not, believe it or not, in 2018, we are still facing abortion stigma, unfortunately, and some healthcare providers don't feel comfortable advertising the fact that, that they provide abortion care, frankly. And we are, I don't feel at liberty to actually name individual providers. I feel like it's up to them to promote their services. Okay. Wow, that's so sad, though. <laughs> like, do you think they feel personally at risk or professionally at risk by revealing that? Yeah, well, um, I'm not really, you know, I can't really speak for anyone, but I can say that the kind of hostility that has existed around abortion providers is real. And I was just reviewing, uh, I was just looking back at an old article from Vermont Women Magazine where an author talked about a little bit of the history of abortion in, in the country. And after after abortion became safe and legal, we saw unprecedented amounts of violence in healthcare centers, doctors being murdered, um, mm-hmm. bombs, protests, vandalism, assault. It's just a really horrendous amount of violence that ensued from the very from from people who were simply trying to um, take care of very personal. Um, matters and and relationships with their doctors and so I'm not surprised. I mean, this is the history that we have faced and that that is behind us. And this kind of informs and colors people's attitudes and perceptions about abortion and abortion care. So, you know, this is I think you know this is a, probably a function of the environment that we have all you know, that we're all, that we all exist in and the, the history of that. Yeah. I mean, I, it's definitely something I've been aware of nationally. Um, and I guess I'm a little surprised to hear that that might be a fear in Vermont, but, um, you know, <laughs> I guess I should stop being so surprised. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, I don't really, and I can't say that it actually is a fear. Um, but I think that given that abortion nationally still has controversy associated with it. I think that um, maybe some healthcare providers don't want to be out, you know, be, you know, pointed to or whatever. Or, But I also think that there's there could also be a kind of a 
an attitude of maybe it's of libertarianism. Maybe it's just they just feel like it's none of anyone's business. This is um, a personal decision that someone is making. And this is between them and their healthcare provider, and you know they don't want to be judged for it. Yeah, I could see that. I mean, I think it would be helpful for like people seek if if someone didn't at first go to Planned Parenthood of Northern New England, say they were speaking with like OBGYNs or something, it would be helpful to know which providers they can go to. But um, yeah, I can definitely yeah. see an an attitude of privacy. Yeah. Well, um, for your for your um, listeners, if they want to give us a call or, or if they if they want to go to a Planned Parenthood Health Center, we're more than happy to make that referral. Great. Um, I, I've read about an organization called um, Vermont Access to Reproductive Freedom that um, not only pays for or, or supplements the cost of uh, abortions for people in Vermont, but also helps with transportation transportation costs should like a person in Brattleboro have to travel farther than Brattleboro or miss work um, to travel. Um, is that an organization that Planned Parenthood of Northern New England partners with? Yeah, so we um, recently did, uh, we, I recently served on a panel in Brattleboro for after the film by documentary filmmaker Willa O'Farrell mm-hmm. called Break the Silence. And at that, that was a, it was an incredibly powerful film about where, where people are telling, well, it's women are telling their reproductive health stories. And it's the whole gambit, a whole range of the first sex, first experience with sex and orgasm to abortion and STD um, problems and rape and other sexual assault and you name it. It's all in there and it's very powerful. So there was a screening of this film in Brattleboro, and it was an event to benefit BARF, Vermont um, Access to Reproductive Freedom. And, yeah, and this is a partnership that we have with BARF, Planned Parenthood Meaning, um, has a a partnership with them where we are, you know, we're partnering up so that um, we can make sure that there are no barriers for people getting the care they need, including transportation. Mm Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, I think we'll also post a link to their website if folks want to learn more about them. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, again, switching gears a little bit. So um, I think largely in the conversation around reproductive rights and even um, in talking to you today, um, reproductive rights are often framed as women's rights um, that are under attack. And I know that sometimes that leaves... Um, trans folks um, who may have a uterus, regardless of their gender identity or non-binary folks, um, they feel left out of the conversation and it also um, equivocating reproductive rights with women's rights as if like those are the only rights women need um, limits women's rights to biology. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, as you mentioned earlier, misogyny plays a huge role in limiting um, reproductive rights. Um, so it, I, I don't think it's inaccurate to say that this is uh, an issue predominantly for women, but I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about how Planned Parenthood has made a point to serve trans patients specifically and then you know people of any gender identity. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We are... We are we pride ourselves on providing compassionate, non-judgmental care, and and I want to assure you that we welcome everyone uh, into our health centers, and we provide care for everyone. And we reach out to the LGBTQ community, and we have recently, very proudly, been um, in- implementing a program or the kind of a new service in our in our care where we provide hormone therapy for people in um, gender transition. Oh, wow. So, so this is something that we're very proud of and very happy to do, and we believe strenuously in everyone's rights to self-determination. And, you know, we, even within our organization, we all, we all have, as part of our signature line, this is part of our branding, and... Um, on our business cards, we all include our pronouns, 
mm-hmm. so that um, so that people who are not gender um, who are gender nonconforming or not gender binary or somewhere else in the spectrum have an opportunity to ex- to express um, their um, their identity. Mm-hmm. That's great. I had no idea that. Um you all were providing hormone therapy. How long has that been going on in Vermont? You know, I'm not, yeah, it's a good question. I'm not really sure. I don't think it has been that long, but it has been at least as long as I have been with the organization, so at least since April 2017. But I think it predates that, but I'm not, I can't say with any authority how much sure. time that predates that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. That's great. Um. Along similar lines, just thinking about like justice and how um, health centers are serving people's needs and how needs differ across identities. Um, Vermont actually has a really horrible history of eugenics um, and forced sterilization. Um, But I know that Planned Parenthood of Northern New England specifically mentions on their website that they have a goal to create healthy, just, equitable, and empowered communities where health outcomes don't depend on your sexual orientation, gender identity, immigration status, or the color of your skin. Um, I'm wondering if you can talk about um, ways in which that goal uh, comes, plays out in material reality in your centers. Yeah, well, I think I'd like to also talk about some of the impetus for that. I mean, we are very aware of the fact that, you know, we talk about access to health care a lot. It's very important to Planned Parenthood. But part of access is having the economic um, economic means to, to get, to get health care, as well as, you know, geographical. So we have um, health centers that are located throughout the state, 12 health centers we're in Vermont. We're very proud of, of that geographical access. Mm-hmm. And we're also very proud of the fact that we have a sliding fee scale. But we also are very sensitive to the fact that women of color, disproportionately, and, and other um, marginalized communities disproportionately um, find access to health care as um, a real barrier uh, to to getting care, so we have um, we have partnered up with a number of a number of groups, and we're starting to do a lot of um, transsectional work with other organizations to help move forward the agenda of reproductive justice. Mm-hmm. And so that means economic justice for people. We were involved in the livable wage campaign. It means, uh, you know, justice for families. We um, participated in a coalition speaking out against the immigration policy of, you know, family separation from the Trump administration recently. Mm-hmm. We um, partnered with Main Street Alliance and a number of other organizations on paid family leave because we feel like that is once again, you know, another another issue that um, intersects with with our work as well. Definitely. And we also have partnered with environmental organizations on toxic legislation because we also understand that women of color and low income women are disproportionately affected by um, toxic environments and toxic substances in you know in their environment. Mm-hmm. So that, those are just some examples from, you know, recently. That's amazing. It's such a, like, health justice, public health, uh, I don't know, mentality or, yeah. or approach. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, and it, it's an acknowledgement of of the bigger picture that, you know, if we really want a healthy, if we want a healthy world and if we really care about justice for for our patients, then, you know, our patients have broader lives and other other issues touching them and affecting them in negative ways um, than just, you know, whether or not they can access, you know, um, services for contraception or abortion or whatever the case may be. Right. And so much of health, uh, well, we should look at health in terms of prevention and, you know, 
preventing yeah. disease, having access to good food and uh, housing. Right, and a livable wage. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm curious, uh, so I'm still learning about like the mechanics of uh, how nonprofits work, but I'm, I've read to some extent that um, in order to do like electoral work, one has to operate through a 501c4. So is your more political work, does that come out of Planned Parenthood of Vermont Action Fund, or is the, is your 501c3 able to participate in? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So the campaign finance law is incredibly complicated, and particularly in Vermont, because we have, and this is good, you know, this can be good and bad, I suppose, but we have the most restrictive campaign finance um, laws in the country. Mm. So um, I am actually speaking to you not just as vice president of public policy for Planned Parenthood North of New England. I'm also speaking to you on behalf of Planned Parenthood Vermont Action Fund mm-hmm. or, and or Planned, ha- Planned Parenthood Action Fund, i.e. PAC, Independent Expenditure PAC. And that this conversation is moving toward the, the independent expenditure PAC um, kind of territory when you talk about electoral work. So the, at the federal level, there's 501c3 um, work, which we are, Planned Parenthood Health Centers are 501c3. We are um, a nonprofit healthcare organization, and we are serving our patients and our mission through our patients and our health centers. That's the 501c3 work. Additionally, um, in, in 501c3 designation, we have what we call advocacy and organizing that's also valid 501c3 work so work that that is related to our mission and that moves our mission forward and forwards our mission is um, qualifies as 501c3 work also where we get into 501c4 territory is where we get into more hardcore advocacy or when we start talking about um when we start talking about it, when we start getting involved in elections. Mm. So would that mean, um, obviously, endorsing a candidate would fall under 501c4, uh, but would uh, yeah. advocating for specific legislation, how does that fall? Advocating for specific legislation actually fall, can fall in 501c3. It can move into 501c3. The, the line is pretty fuzzy, though, and it can move into 501c4 land, um, pretty easily. So whenever we're in doubt, we call it 501c4, mm-hmm. just to make sure that we are not using any 501c3 resources for what 501c4 work. And it's, um, you know, there's not a lot of case law there out there, and in Vermont, in Vermont, I mean, so it's it's a little difficult to navigate, but as I said, we just always take the most conservative approach when we're looking at Vermont law and the differences between a PAC and an independent expenditure PAC, for example. So an independent expenditure PAC is not allowed to, um, to coordinate with a candidate, mm. a party, or a campaign. Right. A regular PAC under Vermont campaign finance laws can coordinate with campaigns, candidates, etc. But the difference between a PAC and an independent expenditure PAC is that an independent expenditure PAC um, gets, they can, I mean, the the reason you would have an independent expenditure PAC is because there are no limits on on the contributions that can go into an independent expenditure PAC, whereas a regular PAC do have contribution limits. Mm And it gets all very confusing and fuzzy really quickly, but we fortunately have an attorney who keeps us out of trouble and keeps us educated on the nuances between uh, and the div- dividing lines between the two. Sure. I just, I think it seems like a great model that you're kind of, uh, by having all three, you're able to operate, um, you know, advocate for reproductive rights on all three fronts from direct service to the policy level um, and the electoral level. So it's cool. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's great. And I think that's part of, you know, that is part of our mission. I mean, we really want to make sure that people have the health care that they need and that reproductive 
rights are advanced. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that. It's in this environment, in the world we live in, that's not possible. It's not possible to do that in just 501c3 work. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, there's a lot you can do, but, you know, I think that's what, unfortunately, we are, you know, we're, we're fighting assaults on our rights, and that's why we need the C4 work. Right. Um, you mentioned uh, policies that I'm guessing your 501c3 uh, worked on or acted in coalition with, like around the livable wage campaign and paid family leave. Can you talk about uh, any specific policy or legislation um, that Planned Parenthood of Northern New England or or your action fund has worked on um, in Vermont, either that's gone through the legislature or just like policies that you've tried to yeah. move toward? Sure. So um, in 2016, a rather important bill passed the Vermont legislature that essentially codified the sections of the Affordable Care Act that guarantee no cost sharing for contraceptives for uh, for women. And that was a huge that was a huge step. But we but in the state of Vermont, we took it a step further. The state legislature took it a step further and also included vasectomy for men mm. as uh, to be covered as well. Under ins- that, insurance companies must must offer vasectomy and contraception to all their covered patients with no cost sharing. So it really recognizes reproductive health care as an essential service, which it is, it's basic, you know, primary health care. So that was, um, that, was a, that was a very big deal. Now more, now, more recently, in the last legislative session, I've begun to lay the groundwork for, I think, something that would be very, will be very important in the future, and that will be to require insurance companies to pay for um, for covered individuals to pay for um, over-the-counter contraceptives without a prescription. Mm. I mean, the whole idea of an over-the-counter um, medicine is that it's available without a prescription. Right. And um, with the Affordable Care Act, there's no there's this requirement, and also with the Vermont law, there's no cost-sharing on contraceptives. But what we have now is um, there's there's a there's a, a, a company that makes a progestin only birth control pill who has um, is about to apply or has just applied to the FDA for um, for permission to be used over to be sold over the counter. Hmm. The minute the FDA approves this contraception, which they undoubtedly will once they go through the process because it's the most one of the most used and safest forms of medication that that uh, that we know it's been it has a very long history and it's been one of the most studied um, forms of medicine that that we have so or drugs rather so once that's available over the counter by lo- but with with the current law the way it is now, everyone who is currently getting a prescription from their doctor for um, for the birth control pill for this birth control pill will suddenly have to pay out of pocket for it, and it will be like you know fifty dollars or so a month, maybe more. Wow. So that could make a real that could be a real um, a real problem for a lot of women. So we are proactively, we meaning Planned Parenthood, are proactively working with the Vermont legislature in anticipation of this moment when the FDA approves the pill over the counter to be sure that insurance will continue to pay for birth control pills for women without a prescription. Mm-hmm. And are you working with specific legislatures? Yeah, um, I'm working. I'm I'm a member of a national coalition of 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 people who are working to pass similar legislation in their states. There are a number of states who have already passed bills that would do this in some form or another. Mm-hmm. And in Vermont, 
We, um, I am working with Representative Ann Pugh and from South Burlington, Representative Jill Kerwinski, also from Burlington, and um, Senator Claire Ayer is not running for um, re-election. She's from Addison County. So there are a number of champions in the legislature who, are, um, who I've partnered up with and who are moving this bill forward. There's a lot of support. Sarah Copeland hands us from Bradford. Um, Senator Ballant mm-hmm. from your neck of the woods, from Brattleboro, is very supportive. So, yeah, this is um, this is something that has broad support in the legislature, and we really hope we can pass it this year. That's great. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Um. Well, those are the bulk of my questions. Um, anything else that you feel like we didn't talk about that you'd like to focus on? Mm, let's see. I can't really think of anything. I think that was a pretty comprehensive, like, that was quite a spectrum <laughs> yeah. of topics. Trying to cover a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was good. It's, it's great. And how are we doing on time? Is it about the amount of time that you need for your show? Yeah, this is great. All right. This is Cara Hamilton from Democracy Eventually, and you just listened to an interview with uh, Vice President of Public Policy for Vermont uh, for Planned Parenthood of Northern New England that I recorded last week. That's actually all for our show today. You can tune in next week to hear our conversation with advocates from the Women's Freedom Center. Um, And until then, here is a song to send you out with. Um, for commenting, so you can post those. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and thank you for your work. Um, Girls, we run this mother.